0: So I'm not sure I'd say that it's uh, conspiracy theories are for losers, but I might say that conspiracy endorsement is for people who are afraid. It, it is it is a form of fear. It is giving into fear. It is also, it's a very victim or victimizing, self victimizing orientation. I am a victim. This is being done to me. We I have been treated unfairly and rather than do anything about it,
1: I'm gonna complain about it. Welcome to Act in Line, a podcast from the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Eric Cohn, executive producer. 5G, microchips and vaccines, crisis actors, chemtrails. It seems the tales of conspiracy theories are in the news and on social media constantly these days. But conspiracy theories have been with us for a very long time. Black helicopters, 9-11 trutherism, the JFK assassination... And antisemitism is arguably the oldest conspiracy theory there is. Are conspiracy theories more prevalent now than they have been before? And more importantly, what attracts people to believing in them? In this episode, I talk with Dr. Aaron Pomerantz, assistant professor of psychology at University of St. Thomas, Houston, about his research into the psychology of conspiracy theories. You can find additional resources in the show notes for this episode, as well as find previous episodes of Acton Line on our website at actinorg podcast. And if you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Line is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Dr. Aaron Pomerantz is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. His research focuses on culture, stigma, criminal justice, and religion, and he specializes in health psychology and conspiracy theories. He holds a PhD in psychology from the University of Oklahoma. Aaron, welcome to Act in Line. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to talk today about the psychology of conspiracy theories. And I think it would be best if we started by defining terms. So could you give me a definition? What is a conspiracy and what is a conspiracy theory?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, in psychology, we often um, I, I have at least been told or, or accused is probably the better term of a, of um, defining things in a confusing way. So starting with definitions is, is always good. Um, So when we talk about a conspiracy in social psych, we're talking about something, uh, a a plot, basically, by by two or more people. Uh, Generally, it's a secret plot. It's something that has nefarious uh, motivations, nefarious goals, at the very least not pro-social ones. And generally, when we're talking about a conspiracy, we're talking about something that Either happen. Well, we're talking about something that either happened or is happening. We're talking about something like Watergate, MK Ultra, the NSA spying on us. You know, we're we're talking about things that can be verified. That yes, there was a cabal or a group of people because cabal is kind of a loaded term. Uh, that that planned something in secret to, to, uh, that wasn't really great. So that's a conspiracy. So a conspiracy theory is just explaining significant socio-political events um to, as being the result of a conspiracy saying okay this thing that's going on around us is because people are actually plotting uh so it, and the thing about a conspiracy theory right is it it might or might not be true and Just because something is a conspiracy theory, you know, people often use this uh, as a term to shut down discussion, right? Oh, that's a conspiracy theory. It's like, great, but everything's a conspiracy. All conspiracies were conspiracy theories, and then they were demonstrated to be true. So they're not necessarily a a bad thing. Um, They're just not demonstrated. So like one recent conspiracy theory that kind of switched over to conspiracy fact was, uh, you know, there was that theory for a long time that maybe the alt-right was some form of managed opposition. And then it came out a couple weeks ago that at least certain Democratic groups were, yes, funding radical candidates with really bad positions because they, they assumed it would be easier to beat. So this started as a conspiracy theory because there was no concrete evidence and it crossed the line to conspiracy as the evidence came out.
1: Let me pick a little bit at the first definition. So would you say that the effort – part of this may depend on perspective, right? So the effort by uh, certain individuals to overthrow the colonial British government in the 13 colonies in the 1700s, um, could you – Legitimately call that a conspiracy? It was a group of people getting together to do something that the British would have viewed as nefarious. But this is this get into the how who writes history because Americans certainly you know it would have been treason if they would have lost, uh, but they won. So now we view it in a, a different way. Is that fair?
0: I would say the the entire effort probably wouldn't count as a conspiracy because uh well, when we could talk about powerful actors and who had the power in that situation, and also it, it kind of became. Certainly uh certainly by, by July second through fourth 1776 it was no longer a secret it, it was open uh but c- c- certain instances in that so for uh let's let's say the Boston Tea Party as that was being planned that was probably count as a conspiracy um the the effort to get France on our side uh to to join up against the British that could probably be called a conspiracy sure but was there any proof, you know, if you um, if you look at the history of, say, the Culper Ring, um, the Brits had some idea of what was going on. They knew there was American intelligence. They knew something was up, but they didn't have any proof. But then we find out later, yes, there. this, this was a conspiracy. The Brits had a conspiracy, but it became consp- it was a conspiracy theory that was revealed as conspiracy fact as a function of history.
1: Yeah, and that's how I was thinking about it from the perspective of just your average British citizen living in London at the time, that you know, if you were to offer the theory that there was a group of people in the colonies who were secretly plotting before it became public to overthrow the colonial government there, I mean, it, you're describing a conspiracy, and it's a theory about it because you don't have the evidence. Then it all becomes public, and you you have the evidence, and it changes the way that we look at it.
0: Yeah, and there's actually um, – within the conspiracy theory literature, there, this has actually been pointed out a, a couple of times that um, sometimes, the, especially in the in the light of conspiracy theory being something that uh, people can use to shut down opposition, right? Um, 30 years ago, if you believed that the government was spying on all of us, you'd have been the one who was considered irrational. But now post-Edward Snowden – The person who doesn't believe the government is spying on us is going to be the one who's considered probably not a conspiracy theorist, but certainly irrational. So that, you know, the everyday person didn't want to believe the government was spying on them, but now we know it
1: happened, right? So we've had a lot of conversation in American civic life about conspiracies and conspiracy theories over the last, uh, let's say, six or seven years. Do do you think there's been a growth in the belief in conspiracy theories uh, or are we just a little more attuned to it right now?
0: I don't think there's been a growth. I think that conspiracy theories have always um, they've always been around because the reasons that they come into existence. uh are because of, you know, ba- basic social drives, basic individual drives. We, we in, in, in psychology, we tend to talk about um, social existential and epistemic motives for conspiracy theories. And these have always been around. I mean, the oldest, probably the oldest conspiracy theory in the book uh, would be the various and sundry anti-Semitic ones that have been really, really popular dating back to the medieval period and and, and before um now yes the term conspiracy theory is new uh that's that's something i've uh when i've been talking to people who are a little more shall we say conspiratorial they have this sort of gotcha like well the word consp- the term conspiracy theory was invented by the cia in the 60s and i'm like cool but that's kind of like those those things you see on the internet like did you know that genghis khan never said the words thank you in his life this is because he didn't speak english yeah, yeah like this is like cool he still expressed that sentiment in his native language and conspiracy theories have existed before the cia created the term and i think the reason that we're discussing them more is because uh they've become more prominent but i think even that comes in in ebbs and flows historically speaking um I think what they've gotten, what's gotten more prominent, say, is uh, the openness with which some of them are uh, are uh, talked about, and the opposition to them. I think has gotten fiercer as well. The ones that I would say, I mean, there are so many conspiracy theories, but I'd say some of the ones that that have really driven that perception that there are more conspiracy theories out there would definitely be QAnon. Um, that's that's become a phenomenon. Uh, and also things related to that like the great replacement theory which is again actually a a really old conspiracy theory if you look at just the idea that somebody is sending people to replace us well that dates back to the 1850s it just changes which group is supposedly doing the replacing Um, but it's gone into the popular consciousness it's being discussed on on talk radio and so uh people you know now feel the need to oppose these things i think in a way that they didn't previously um and i think that they have become a part of our social discourse in a way that they might not have been previously but i don't think the actual incidence of conspiracy theories is higher
1: let's zoom out a little bit what draws people to conspiracy theories
0: so i mentioned uh previously that uh that there are three motives so I'm a social psychologist, uh, so we don't we don't want to th- we don't tend to think in very personological, um, personality driven ways. Like everyone has capacity in them to make good or bad decisions, the capacity for good and evil. So instead, we I like to look at the environments. The people who have done a lot of the conspiracy work share that they're social psychologists. So um, Karen Douglas has I believe was the first one to kind of divide it down into what are called epistemic motives, existential motives, and social motives. So the an epistemic motive, you know, you know, related to knowledge. The idea is we we like we like knowing how the world works. We don't like uncertainty. But unfortunately, sometimes uncertainty is just a part of life, right? Like you see, you see things that happen. Uh so like 9-11. 9-11, I think was in some ways, um, a lot. i think it was a very seminal moment a very important moment for conspiracy theories in, in the modern era because you know we all have heard of you know some conspiracy to do with 9-11 but that a lot of that drew from uncertainty right like well why did this happen i don't know why this happened i don't know if this is going to happen again but now i know why it happened because i have this conspiracy whether it be an inside job or it was it was it was uh well, really, all of them, or are, are some sort. It just depends on who who you think did the inside job, right? Um, similarly, I would say, uh, after a lot of mass shootings, there are accusations of false flags, accusations of um, FBI involvement, what have you. That allows you to to basically say, "Hey, I now na- I don't have to deal with uncertainty anymore." Similarly, um, epistemically speaking. Conspiracy theories can really be kind of a shield against cognitive dissonance, so that 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 unpleasant feeling when you know your beliefs and your attitudes aren't in alignment with what you're actually doing. So you, I believe one thing and I'm acting in another way. Um, so for instance, a lot of the discourse surrounding um, the idea that the 2020 election was stolen, there were certain people, whatever you may think about that, who kept to changing the goalposts, I would say. Like the arguments for what actually served as proof of fraud having occurred kept changing. First it was this thing, then it was this other thing. The, the, the idea that the election hadn't been stolen was just not admissible. That, was, that wasn't that was something we could acknowledge. Instead it was, well, now I have this other reason. Well, actually it's this, somehow dead South American dictators are involved uh, about by the time that um
1: gets to court. Uh, so they allow you to let me pause you there because there's an interesting part about that, that there is a there's a conclusion uh, that people have that it, to uh, there's something that happened that they don't like. So in, in this particular yeah. case, we're talking about uh, Donald Trump uh, lost the 2020 election and now they're working backwards to provide a rationale for um, why that. Quote unquote happened or it didn't happen because, again, the, the offer, the idea and offers that it was stolen. Let me move it out uh, into a more historical one that listeners to this podcast and listeners to our roundtable podcast, Act and Unwind, have heard me say before, which is all the conspiracy theorizing surrounding the assassination of John F. Kennedy and. I've always explained this and it makes sense in my mind for why there has been such a desire to add gravity around this is you think of it like a scale. On one end, you have John F. Kennedy, who is an incredibly consequential person, if only by virtue of the fact that he was, you know, one of the few presidents of the United States of America that we've ever had. And on the other side, you have Lee Harvey Oswald, this incredibly inconsequential appearing man. 22 years old. The Soviet Union didn't even want him. And we just have a hard time accepting that such an inconsequential person can do such a consequential thing and take the life of such a consequential man that we feel the need to to push our fingers down on that side of the scale, to add some weight to it, to make it seem more just and that as if this scales balance so it's it's you know it's Hoover, it's Castro it's the Russians it's the mob it's all of these things and you see this and I've got a want to ask you about entertainment in a bit but you see all of these things swirl together in Oliver Stone's JFK where he just kind of puts all of these conspiracy theories in a blender and just kind of throws them all out there I mean how how much is it that just our own desire to try to make, To look at things that are tragic or awful or horrible um, and that the explanations for how or why they happened, uh, the true ones, just are unsatisfying. And as a result, we just kind of feel this need to add moral gravity to the explanation.
0: Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and this is something that we see all over the psychological realm it's not just in conspiracy theories. People people often start with a presupposition and then they, they, the facts can change as long as you get to keep the presupposition. And this is why when we look at individual differences in conspiracy endorsement, um, we don't uh, at least Karen Douglas likes to she, she talks a lot about not uh talking about conspiracy theorists as much as talking about like what makes you know cuz everyone probably believes at least one conspiracy theory right we're all conspiracy theorists so let's just talk about the, the process um but there are some individual differences that that manifest and under the epistemic uh mantle, I guess you could say, Uh, we look at things like higher pattern recognition, seeing patterns where there is none. Sometimes, yeah, random acts of violence occur. That is immensely unsatisfying. You know, the idea that this doesn't make sense to me. I can't make sense of this. It's far more satisfying to have something to to impose meaning where there might not be any. And then confirmation bias means I'm only going to pay attention to the things that I think back up that perspective right again um moving keeping it in the historical realm um i'm not going to get too much into it but like if you look at certain elements of the lost cause myth about the civil war um some of them should be relatively easily uh Relatively easily debunked. But there are people who actively even say things like, you know, George Fitzhugh didn't actually write these um philosophical treatises saying that slavery was an immoral good. The cornerstone speech, well, did that really happen? Did he really mean that slavery was a cornerstone of the Confederacy? Can we really trust it? There was this idea that, you know, the Northern historians were imposing their will on the South and rewriting history to make it about slavery. We can debate the degree to which it was about slavery. Obviously, not in the scope of what we're discussing now. But it's, that's unsatisfying to a lot of people. It doesn't make sense to them because they live in the 20th century or the 21st century. They wouldn't fight for slavery. That's unsatisfying. No. It, instead, it's, it's 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 a plot to to attack Southern honor. It's not that somebody back in the 1860s could have thought differently about this and and fought for a morally
1: uh, abhorrent cause. I was listening to a interview with um, a professor from University of Miami, Joseph Usinski. Uh, who had a, a somewhat pejorative way of putting this, but I think you're getting at it with uh, what you were just describing there. Uh, his way of putting it is that conspiracy theories are for losers. Um, and it's, <laughs> it is it is provocative, but I, I get what he's getting at there. And maybe another way of, of putting it is, you know, if I'm, I'm a baseball fan, um, now I, I may be the exception to the rule here because I'm more than willing to complain about the uh, performance of the umpires, no matter whether my team won or lost, because uh, it drives me crazy with the technology we have now that we can see pitches that are strikes that are called balls um, and vice versa but typically, the people complaining about the officiating after the game are the fans, or the players, or the coaches of the team that lost. Um, mm-hmm. So it is that is—is is this a necessary characteristic for the formation of conspiracy theories? The feeling of being you know wronged or on the some kind of a losing side, and to an unwilling to accept that uh, you might have just you know you might have just lost, or something bad might have just happened to you. Um, going again back to the previous question. We need to add more meaning to it.
0: I'm not sure. I would say it's necessary to have lost, but um, and actually, this kind of leads into, to another motive: the idea of like, existential motives for conspiracy theories. You know, uh, there there's a lot of research linking um, c- endorsement of conspiracy theories to. Threat And the perception of threat, like one phenomenon that's been linked to it is what's called collective narcissism. The belief that your group is not being sufficiently honored, your group does not have sufficient social power, and it's somebody's fault, dang it. Um, And and, and that often leads to conspiracy endorsement surrounding outgroups. So I'm not sure I'd say that it's uh, conspiracy theories are for losers. um, But I might say that conspiracy endorsement is for people who are afraid. it it is it is a form of fear it is giving into fear it is also it's a very victim or victimizing self-victimizing orientation i am a victim this is being done to me we i have been treated unfairly and rather than do anything about it i'm going to complain about it right so like think things a lot of anti-semitic conspiracy theories right like they take this form uh it's 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 to keep it more contemporary even though anti-semitism is very contemporary. sadly contemporary uh, yeah yeah it, it keeps coming back but let's let's go a little broader just the great replacement in general right american society is changing people don't like that this must be some sort of soros backed plan there i've brought conspiracies back into it um now iron and now like sure there the, the makeup of Amer- the demographic makeup of america is changing but you know 150 years ago uh that was the great replacement theory What was still around. It's just what was considered a changing demographic was European Catholics. Now it's Latin Americans uh, and 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 East Asians and Southeast Asians and Middle Eastern people. I'm sure it will be something else in 50 years.
1: What remains consistent is that ascribing of nefarious direct motive mm-hmm. to what is going on, that these aren't the kind of complicated and many factored you know the way that we arrived at the immigration policy or lack thereof that the united states have has right now uh, is you know just a long and sordid story of action and inaction and disagreement Um, but the it's this is the ascribing of you know nefarious motives that have led us to this exact result which was intended
0: yeah and it's very often like it's not just that there was a nefarious plot, right. It's a nefarious plot exists against my group. That is why it's very, it's, it's so often about it's an, it's making excuses. It's, it's making an excuse. It's not that I did something wrong. It's that, uh, there's somebody out to get me, you know, it's, it's not that it's, it's, you know, I, we've, I've, I've, I've been kind of picking on the right. Well, it's, kind of pick on the left a little bit because this is uh this is something we saw back in 2016 with the steel dossier all these absurd claims about donald trump you know people didn't want to believe that he could have actually won an election like there you know what what is what is the, the joke is that hillary clinton must have been the worst candidate ever advanced in the history of american politics because she lost to donald trump so rather than admit hey you guys messed up. There were some real problems there. It was no Donald Trump's personal friends with Vladimir Putin who directly got involved. And while, yes, there's evidence of Russian bots, the uh, the accusations of conspiracy in the Steele dossier went way beyond that. But easier to believe that and more I don't want to say self-fulfilling because actually, um, when it comes to addressing existential motives, conspiracy theories really stink at doing them. They tend to actually make us more afraid and, and, and make us feel more disempowered. Uh, but the idea is that, well, I don't have to feel disempowered because I actually won. I am actually the winner, you know, because if it hadn't been for this, um, you know, if if it hadn't been for that umpire's bad calls, it's all the umpire's fault that my beloved Orioles have not won every World Series since you know the nineteen fifties. It's the same thing.
1: You've given us two of those um, uh, explanations. Uh, what? Uh, well, let me get, get the third in here before I move on to some other questions.
0: Social motives for conspiracy theories can often be um, basically. T- making us feel good about ourselves and like like existential motives they they really stink at fulfilling this um but a lot of people like to feel special they like to feel unique they need to feel that they have they know things that uh we the rest of us don't know and such people are uh very often um very often likely to endorse conspiracy theories and it's kind of the same as the you know i'm I'm sort of the motives overlap a little bit i'm kind of um I kind of blendings existential and social in some ways, um, whereas existential is more about like there is a threat and I want to um, I want I want to uh, assuage my fear about that threat because of a conspiracy theory. Social motives is more I don't my gr- nobody's being nice to my group and I want them to be nice to my group, and they need to be nice to my group. I I want to feel good about myself and who I'm belonging to, and I can rely rely on conspiracy theories sometimes to do that. So again, this is where you might see great replacement theory or something like that.
1: I asked a colleague, um, and I told him I was going to be talking to you about the psychology of conspiracy theories, and I, I thought he raised a really interesting point. Uh, which was, he says, You, know, I've, I've talked to people as I've kind of traveled around the circles that uh, we, we run in professionally, uh, people who are believers in conspiracy theories. You can go back and you can research things like the John Birch Society uh, and some of the people involved with that. And he says, I've, I've noticed that um, a good number of them seem to be very intelligent people. Uh, is are, are more intelligent people more likely to be drawn to conspiracy theories or is this kind of spread out across everybody so
0: that's a great question it's also a a difficult one there is a relationship there is a negative correlation between conspiracy theory endorsement and education um so it would be very easy to say educated people are less likely to endorse conspiracy theories but when you go into it and you look deeper it's not that they are educated, it's how they're educated. It's, it's not what you know, but it's how you think that might be might be a way of putting it. So for one thing, um, it, being educated makes people less likely to perceive relationships where there are none or to see like patterns where there are none or perceive agency where there is none. Um, it also can make people feel more in control of their lives, feel like they are more self efficacious and they can accomplish things. And also just an appreciation that complex problems don't tend to have simple solutions. Uh, you know, like like conspiracy theories are often just advanced as a really simple solution to a complex problem. It's all the Jewish people's fault. It's all soros, it's all, you know, pick your target, right? Um being educated can, assu- can assuage that um by making that you less likely to fall into it. But I I don't think it really dem- I don't think that research really demonstrates that educated people are less likely to fall its prey to conspiracies. It's just that if you are if you are well educated, if you are literate, like so like um, one thing that we, they talk about is news media literacy. It's not consuming news media. It's knowing how to discern news media. So education can produce people who are less conspiratorially minded, but only if it's the right sort of education. And I'm sorry, it's really a seems like kind of an unsatisfying answer in some ways. But it, it, it's really hard to say that it, uh, if there's a solid overall effect for education or not um, when it comes to the issue of conspiracy endorsement.
1: I mentioned the movie JFK earlier, and I I like it as an example because uh, I I had my period where I was obsessed with the Kennedy assassination, and um, I've— largely come around to the conclusion that um, which I I think there's a lot more to support it now than there was at the time of the publication of the Warren Commission report that Lee Harvey Oswald in terms of the shooting acted alone and there's a lot about his background that we'll just probably never know so there's plausibility for some offering of a conspiracy theory about who was running Lee Harvey Oswald but nonetheless uh, what I like about that movie is I think that it is almost all completely nonsense (laughs) But it's really entertaining nonsense. It is a well-made movie. It is intriguing to watch. It's very captivating. Has entertainment the power of entertainment – I think we could even get back into what you were talking about previously with news. I think one of the big problems we face in news culture – is the hybridization of news and entertainment infotainment we see this particularly in cable news uh where you can get things like the stolen election narrative or the russia collusion narrative uh which i I think it would be fair to describe both as conspiracy theories are Mm -hmm. advanced in this newsy but entertaining format um that entertainment can be a big driving vehicle for advancing conspiracy theories what role does entertainment play in advance the prominence of these?
0: I mean, that's a great question. And I'm not sure there's really been any research on entertainment itself. There's been enter- uh, research on, on, on media's relationship to it and certainly news media. I'm not sure if people have actually looked at um, movies. So that's a will jot that, that down as a potential research project and put you in the acknowledgments of, a, of an academic paper that will be read all grand total of three times. But uh, as far as the news media influence on conspiracy theories that there's been a little bit done with that there was actually an article in um the Intelligencer from New York Mag the other day um it was an interview with uh Barry Meyer from the New York Times and he was talking about the Steele dossier and he at the end you know he he this entire interview and he's just written a book on this as well is that, Basically, the media got taken for a ride because the same as the rest of us, they really wanted to um they really wanted to believe that something more nefarious than the fact that Hillary was a bad candidate uh, led to the election of Donald Trump. And they stopped being objective. They stopped being discerning. Um the phrase he used was a, uh, Journalists too often see some people as their friends and other people as their enemies. And that's a big mistake because sometimes your friends are not worthy of your trust. And when you allow those kinds of relationships and emotions to get involved, things can can cloud over. And he talks throughout the, the interview and throughout his book uh, about the need to be objective and the need to just kind of report the facts as facts. Well, that's not what the media does anymore. Right. Like it, it's on both sides. It's all about clicks and it's all about trying to um, to advance. It's really about entertainment, I would say, in some ways. So, conspiracies sell. They're they're fascinating. They're fun. They're self serving um, for for all the three motives I listed with you know so, for social reasons, for for uh, epistemic motive reasons, for for alleviating existential threats. They sell. So why not advance them? especially given you know the polarization um that we are currently experiencing in our culture you know it's 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 it's, it, it, it's nice to be able to advance a theory i'm trying to be really careful how i phrase this it's nice to be able to advance a theory that makes my side look good and makes the other side look bad
1: i was going to remark on the 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 comments that you had from <clears throat> that interview or uh, where uh, talking about journalists and friends and enemies. I mean, that that seems to just apply right now to the general political ethos of the United States, that we're thinking of things oh, yeah. in terms of friends and enemies, of in-group and out-group. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot in in psychology and anthropology and in, in the just general human nature about our desire to be tribal that we know that makes a lot of that make sense but the the exasperation that I get at the increasing uh, friend and enemy dis- distinction this and and even some people on the fringier parts of the right embracing you know Carl Schmitt directly if not just implicitly <laughs> here that the distinction in politics to be made is between friend and enemy I would think does give way to a lot of this kind of explanation for what is going on and, and not just for the bad things that are happening, but as you said, to make myself and my in-group look better. Which I think the I think this is another good point, too, that we, we as part of groups don't want to believe that our leaders could be bad people. So I think conspiracy theories would offer to me another good way to say that, like, you know, oh, the bad actions, quote unquote, bad actions or objectively bad actions a leader may be taking are reasonable and acceptable because of all of this that's going on as we gesture at this big conspiracy and why uh, what is being done is justified.
0: Well, yeah, you know Donald Trump needs to take down the satanic pedophiles, you know, or whatever QAnon is preaching these days. Uh, and I use the term "preaching" very intentionally there. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. What you just just described is basically the social motive. We want to we want to make ourselves and our group look better. But I also think there's an. I'm not going to. Uh, I was about to say I think there's active manipulation, but that's kind of a conspiracy because I'd have to I'd have to. It's the conspiracy theory because I'd have to prove they're doing this intentionally. Unintentionally or not, I think there is a lot of appeal on both sides to the existential motives for conspiracy theories. There's a lot of making tr- making people feel powerless, saying we are powerless. You know, pe- f- focusing on social change. You, you know, uh, when you see, you know, I, I live in Houston. Houston's a multi ethnic, multilingual city. Um, but I've had I've, I've seen people come to Houston, and everything here is in Spanish and English, even more so than anywhere else, because you know most people here speak spanish and there's the threat people oh, like they're trying to they're trying to get rid of english and i'm like no they're not they're trying to make it so that people can uh know what to order and know what button to press or know what movie they're here to see it's just it's it's, it's not a plot dude but it makes people feel scared and that narrative sells the idea that you know i mean you don't have to go to either side of the, the aisle you can pick you can equally cherry pick from both right or you know you know uh the NRA is actively backing mass shooters cuz they 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 don't care about children um the pro life people hate women um alternately you know George Soros wants to undermine America and that's why he's importing immigrants right the, you know it, it's all about making the audience feel small and scared and that and then offering them a solution that supposedly off you know that that supposedly it's an answer and it supposedly provides a solution but again we know it doesn't actually make them feel better that's that's the real, one of the many really scary things to me uh, about conspiracy theories is the solu- they are false solutions they do not at be- the evidence any evidence for them actually addressing any of the motives whether it be social epistemic or existential the uh, the evidence that they fulfill these goals is at best mixed and there's a lot of evidence suggesting very strongly that they not just don't fulfill these goals, they actually and actively make them worse. So it's it's this really scary, self-defeating narrative and motive. But in today's polarized world, you just kind of it, it's becoming more and more common.
1: I do want to ask you something specific about QAnon, but uh, I'm going to come back to that. You made me think of a line from The Simpsons, actually, uh, that your ideas intrigue me and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. Uh, <laughs> the change in vectors of communication that we have had over the last 20 years, um, the the ability to communicate online, to go into forums, to go to, to 4chan or 8chan, to Reddit, uh, to geez, even basic social media, Facebook, Twitter, any of these places, has the change in that from, you know, what you would see previously in, uh, this is always part of the explanation for, you know, the, the, the kind of fall of gatekeeper culture that existed in the media, uh, that if you were particularly on, on the political right, if you'd been excommunicated, if Bill Buckley said that you were persona non grata, you weren't going to get on meet the press. You weren't going to get published in national review. So you would create these lithograph, uh, newsletters that you would send out, which admittedly getting people to subscribe with their mailing address is a lot more difficult than just getting someone to sign up for an email newsletter or to join a chat room, uh, a message board on 4chan or 8chan. How has the change in communication technology impacted the either spread or at least our noticing of the prominence of conspiracy theories?
0: So there's been changes for the good and changes for the bad. Um, It is very easy to blame the internet because the internet is so eminently (laughs) blamable. But there are some good things that come from the internet, but there's also a lot of bad. So first off, yes, the internet does speed up the dissemination of conspiracy theories. As you just said, you know, like it's it's easy to sign up for a newsletter. I managed, I somehow managed to have done it for people that I never <laughs> remember doing it for, and I'm too lazy to click on subscribe. You know, the, 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 this is just not, we live in an era where information can be spread literally at the speed of light, right? So dissemination of conspiracy theories is so much easier to do but on the other hand it's also really easy to refute but the problem is this kind of goes back to what i was talking about earlier with with literacy with media consumption literacy you have to know how to use the social media and the internet well and that's that is a skill and it's it's a lot of people like to pretend and I'm I'm I'm, the, I'm at the odd age where I'm neither old nor young because I'm a I'm a thoroughly middle generation millennial and my students are all Gen Z. But then the older millennials and Gen Xers are like, ah, you're still young. Uh, so I, I kind of see both ends because I see like the stereotypical, you know, older person struggling with with social media literacy. But then I see stuff with younger people to I'm 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 like do you think that you know okay sure the TikToks that you're falling for are way more production they have way higher production quality I guess than something that looks like it was done on a Windows 95 laptop from forever ago that older people are falling for but you're still falling for the same misinformation because you don't actually know how to vet your sources and this isn't just true for conspiracy theories like I'm a psychologist I teach psychology and The mental health TikTok, for instance, just drives me up the wall because like, well, I learned this about ADHD. I'm like, no, you didn't learn that. Learning means you engaged your brain. You absorbed something that somebody doing a fun little dance told you that was absolutely, totally disconnected from reality. And you then regurgitated it to me. And now I'm sorry that we both had to hear that. You know, that's what that that's that's what happens with conspiracy theories too is people just there's what's called source misattribution they hear the information they don't remember where they heard it and then it becomes part of their worldview.
1: I imagine a cousin um, of that, too, is the uh, the prominence of people saying, you know, oh, go do the research. I think you found this a lot surrounding even prior to uh, COVID. Uh, oh, a yes. lot of the stuff surrounding vaccines would always be like, you know, oh, go do the research. I've done the research. And it's that's not what research is. Googling around to find things that meet your confirmation bias, that tell you the things you already want to believe, which this is, I, again, the uh, uh, what you pointed out about the internet is uh, is absolutely true, and, and it's also an inanimate object in in that you know it can it's yeah. blamable because it isn't a person and it doesn't have agency. Uh, but the you can find whatever you're looking for on the internet, and this is also why. Uh, at the risk of tooting my own horn and I think you would fall in this category as well a little bit here. This is why I think millennials are in such an interesting position with regard to this because unlike the older generations, um, baby boomers, who this technology came along very late in their lives uh, or Gen Zers who have only known a life where the internet has been around and a major part of it. I remember growing up before it was really a common thing and I have been through the process of adopting It And I do digital marketing. So I have swam in that ocean. Uh, And I'm not I'm sure there are plenty foibles that I have that I'm given to things that I'm not even necessarily all that cognizant of. But I think that experience of adopting it from nothingness, I think has informed my ability to discern some of these things. And I, I think we are going to go through a process with regard to the internet and social media. We forget how young it is of learning how to deal with it in the same way that people learned how to deal with the spread of information from television and radio and the printing press. Uh, we're just going through the same process over and over again.
0: Yeah. And and uh, I think the other thing about, about social media, and you, you kind of brought this up with, you know, you know, it's quote Bo Burnham. Anything you, that brain of yours can think of can be found. Welcome to the internet. Uh, p- people definitely use their confirmation bias all the time. Um, and it, you know, I agree with you. I, I've done the research. You know, the, the first thing that got me into Health Psych uh, was was vaccines because it just drove me up the wall. People saying I've done my research, and I'm like, stop using that word. Don't 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 take that word in vain. Um, that's our word when, uh, yeah, that's that's our word. You can't use that word. Um, but a few weeks ago, when you were talking to Mike Cosper, actually, you you guys had that discussion about like the importance of expertise. And when I was listening to that a couple weeks ago, I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to bring that up because one, it shows that I've been listening. And two, like I think it's super relevant to this discussion as well because like, like think Joe Rogan, Alex Jones, like I have had I've never had Alex Jones thrown at me as if he's an expert. i will I will give people that but I have absolutely, well, Joe Rogan says this. I'm like, cool. Or or uh, certain other sh- people of a certain ideological bent who uh, don't have credentials, but they have an audience. Like I've, I've been asked, do you think you're smarter than them? And I'm like, no, I do think I'm better educated. Well, they disagree with you. I don't care. We're talking about psychology. I do not care what somebody who's trained as a lawyer has to say about that If if I can easily refute it, right? Like I'm not saying I'm not gonna listen to him, But I don't have to say, well, he has 6.5 million followers on Twitter, and you have – I think I'm up to a grand spanking total of 22. (laughs) Truth is not democratic, right? So people pick their experts, and and, and social media and the internet allow them to do that, and then they just – the confirmation bias takes over, and these experts very often do spread conspiracies or can spread conspiracies. I think the other thing that social media allows is creating – Creating communities, especially things like Facebook. You know, Twitter is just a hellscape of everyone screaming into the void. But Facebook does have that community focus, right? You create these close-knit communities. You have social processes like groupthink and group polarization. You're only talking to people who share your worldview. So, as bad as the algorithm is, this is even worse. And by the you know, it doesn't take you that long to spend time in those communities before you are accepting everything from the community, from the self-proclaimed experts in the community as gospel truth. Uh, and again, I use that term very intentionally because there's a there's there's a relationship between conspiracy theories and religion. They're not the same thing at all, uh, but they have similar causes. And some people definitely incorporate uh, conspiracy theories into their religion to the point that, you know, people like, say— um, well, g edward griffin you know very popular in in right-wing libertarian circles his, his book creature book creature from jekyll island is very well regarded he also uh doesn't he believes you he know, doesn't believe 9-11 actually happened he believes it was an inside job he's an aids denialist he believes that cancer is caused by a vitamin deficiency and he's also into chemtrails uh But you bring this up as a reason like, hey, you know, I don't like the Fed. I don't think anyone even slightly right of center likes the Fed, but I'm not necessarily sold that it was this giant conspiracy. And I've literally had people say, well, you think you know more about this than him? And I'm like, well, no, but I'm just bringing up the fact that he believes all this other stuff and you you can't get – you can't get a foot in the door because there's a community now that they're going to just retreat into and and we see get that validation. And they're, they're, the conspiracies they believe are just going to get reinforced and they'll just retreat into that. And when you attack these ideas, well, it doesn't matter because the community has recognized this expert. He is the new he is the authority. You are not. We can't discuss this anymore. And I think the Internet has made that
1: a lot worse. How much has the door been opened to that by people who do have expertise in one specific area? Not staying in their lane and believing that this gen, this expertise that they have in a specific area means that they have an expertise in, in more or less in everything. And it can make pronouncements about uh, a perfect example of this would be because, uh, again, I just saw him pop up the other day. Noam Chomsky is a linguist. Um, I would not presume to debate Noam Chomsky about linguistics, but the fact that Noam Chomsky is a linguist does not mean that he has any particularly meaningful insights on the American security state or geopolitics that I think we, he and I are operating on a fairly level playing field, but he used his expertise as a linguist to kind of, give him an implied expertise in other areas. And I think in a more modern example of this, the way that you saw uh, public health officials conducting themselves over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, doing and saying things, I think there's a bunch of different explanations that aren't really nefarious. I I mean, I think that their elite panic is a very real phenomenon, this belief that the common people just are not going to be able to fully comprehend the truth. So we have to tell them beneficial lies, which is how you get the mm-hmm. explanation for, you know, why, oh, we shouldn't be wearing masks. And the noble explanation for that lie that they then flipped on uh, was, well, we just didn't want to make a run on them so that they'd be available for medical professionals and we wouldn't run out of them very quickly. Uh it sows this level of distrust when people get out of their lane, they are shown to be wrong, and then we begin to not trust them in the areas where they actually have expertise.
0: I think you've hit the nail on the head with the problem, um, but I think that the problem is very selectively applied. So again, you know, um, one of the things that actually first got me into this sphere of research, I have a, a very close friend who does this. She's does this, done this sphere of research longer than me. This is what her master's in. PhD dissertation are on. But it was the issue of criminal justice reform. And this is like what my research projects and conspiracies primarily focus on, actually. And it was people like ascribing malicious intent to criminal justice reform. And I'm like, how the how would you even know that? That's that's so wildly outside of your lane or your sphere of influence. And the the idea seems to be that you can just Google something and have an idea because you are very smart instead of you're a smart person and the smart people are entitled to their opinions, even though a lot of the people making these cases are actually supposedly anti-elitist, which I just find fascinating. Um, I I do think a lot of this has to do with people um, not staying in their lanes and, and not acknowledging the limits to their own expertise that you know one of one of the worst one of the worst things that can happen for conspiracy theories uh like like in terms of empowering them is an actual conspiracy being revealed like it's it's hard you know i really don't want to be into conspiracy theories i really try to like like be aware of these things that we've been talking about today in my own life but we all fall prey to social forces and it's really hard to do things when you know the Afghanistan papers, MK Ultra, Fauci's lying about masks, Snowden, WikiLeaks, the, the, all these things just keep coming out, and I'm like, okay, yes, those are conspiracies, but please still get a COVID vaccine. You know, looking at looking at, uh, similarly, you know, uh, the 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 massive amounts of misconduct performed by uh, people within the pharmaceutical world or the medical research world. I'm like, you are actively undermining our attempts. And then that gets even worse. So this is just them, you know, this is the kind of that that second part you were talking about with people kind of lying or or otherwise hurting um, or hurting their own cause by their own actions. And then when it comes to just the idea of expertise, well, that just makes the problem worse. You know, I can select my token smart person, you know, it's choose your fighter. Mine's Ben Shapiro, yours is Noam Chomsky, you know, three, two, one, go. Even, and and they'll be talking about issues that have nothing to do with what they're actually supposed to be talking about. And everyone does this. Like, I've complained for a very long time. I'm like, I don't care what Neil deGrasse Tyson has to say about morality. He's He's an astrophysicist he's a hard scientist. I'll take him for anything in hard science. I did not do well at that, but I'm not interested in his opinion on morality. Uh, but there does seem to be, uh, in, in a world where you can choose your own expert, they have to be an expert essentially on everything. And then it becomes really easy for them to spread conspiracies.
1: I I wonder too, how much of this is attributable to what, what I think is a bad way we have of thinking about intelligence. Uh, it's funny that we have both our most recent uh, former president and our current president, incidents of them uh, trying to tout their IQ, uh, which I've always thought is a very bad way to think about the way that people are, are quote unquote, smart. That this idea that they have a general brilliance and is that it's equally applicable across all possible fields, rather than that people have certain capacities and that they may have a much greater capacity neil degrasse tyson has a far greater capacity in astrophysics or yes in any of the hard sciences than i do but to the point which we've been talking about it doesn't mean that he has any deep insights into uh you know human anthropology or anything like that Uh, i think those are those are different fields
0: but you want to prove yourself one of the smart people by agreeing with him and then when it come when you when you introduce a conspiracy theory i want to prove that you know it's funny how the word woke, I, that was what the word woke used to actually mean, right? Is I am awake. Now it's totally morphed its meaning. We could ask Noam Chomsky about that because it's a linguistic phenomenon. But, you know, that used to be, I'm I'm one of the awake people. I know what's really going on. It's that social need to feel special by affiliating with a smart person. But, you know, I can just, I, we, I won't go into it in detail. I would just say psychologically speaking, um, we know that there is no such thing as just a general, like G-theory, there's such a thing as G, there is a general intelligence, but you can absolutely have different idea, different manifestations of it. The, the idea of just smart versus non-smart has really not been accepted within psychology for a very long time. But we live in a world where people, you know, they's like, they, they ask me about psychology and then they ask me, you know, about Freud or Jung. And I'm just like, okay, so clearly we live in a world where psychology is very interesting to people, but they don't necessarily feel the need to then read any,
1: anything about it. I said I wanted to ask you about QAnon. I'm going to do that before we get to our final questions uh, that I have for you. All right. Uh, What's interesting and stands out to me about QAnon uh, as different from a lot of the conspiracy theories and uh, uh, other related phenomenons that we have been discussing is that there is kind of a role playing element to it. Uh, that rather than just believing that, you know, the Kennedy assassination was perpetrated by the mob or by Fidel Castro, the, the QAnon thing kind of has this LARPing element to it. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it, it. there is a relationship there to like to live action role playing. Um, so from an Acton perspective, an Actatonian perspective, I think I've often argued this on, on with regard to believe in younger people in socialism that it has less to do with the actual ideas and more the desire to feel a part of something larger than themselves to to find a sense of meaning when they're not getting that sense of meaning from religion they're trying to have live out their homo religioso inclinations in a different place uh do you see particularly in this one area in QAnon? kind of pattern of wanting to live it out and act on it in that pointed way, uh, being different than other conspiracy theories? Uh, Or is it just, am I making too much of of a basic observation?
0: So QAnon fascinates me, and this is where I think you'd find a variety of professional opinions. Um, Certainly, there's what's called ontological, we, we call it an ontological confusion between religion and conspiracy theories, because... I mean, one of the reasons I love Karen Douglas's work is she's very, very um, objective. And she's like, yes, pe- religion is very different in conspiracy theories, but there is overlap because um, they both involve a belief in something that can't, you know, <laughs> faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You could apply in a very great way to religion and a very dangerous way to conspiracies. With QAnon specifically... Um, I do think that they've kind of taken a next step and in a lot of ways, you know, um, and I I think it does kind of have that, that, that performative element to it. You know, there are conspiracies about area 51, but when people, you know, back in the happy days before COVID-19 and the weirdest thing that happened was an impromptu rave in the middle of the desert, right? Like everyone's like, Oh, we're going to storm area 51. Nothing actually happened. But beyond that, like, no real conspiracy theories didn't really tend to involve massive like performative social action. I mean, yeah, there would be, you know, paranormal events did and those that is certainly related. You'd have conventions and monster hunting and stuff, but I can't think of anything so ritualized. And, 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 you know, maybe it's just, uh, it, I, this is, this is just my professional opinion on it, but I, I almost see QAnon as more of a religion. It, it has an invisible prophet named Q they they have uh, orthodoxy. They seem to have a sort of statement of orthodoxy and what they believe. Um, the I, I think the thing that I find. Simultaneously, it's the most emblematic because it's emblematic of so many conspiracy theories and conspiratorial and thinking, but it's just so blatant with QAnon is the way, number of times he's been proved wrong. There are fringe, independent, fundamentalist Baptists making prophecies about blood moons and the end of the world who haven't been as wrong repeatedly as the supposed prophecies of Q. To the point that I'm almost wondering if they're trolling, uh, you know, a few months ago. I don't remember exactly when people actually gathered in Dallas for the the supposed second coming of JFK Jr. But when, um, after the, between the election and then August of 2021, everyone, there are all these plots. Now, this is when Trump's coming back. This is when Trump's coming back. Like it, it, it certainly at least appears to be more religious. And a lot of that does seem to have a, a sort of performative, not really there's nothing really sacramental about it but certainly it, it, it has a more community element to it so I'm waffling and part of that is because I'm'm I'm, 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 I'm trying to be a good scientist and not say anything too definite which is actually ironically one reason um we struggle to uh to fight conspiracy theories is because scientists like being um, we like being hedging our bets and using probabilistic language and conspiracy theorists often speak in the definite, and that's not something uh, I'm supposed to be good at doing. Yeah, so. I just
1: I just saw a sign while I was uh, in D.C. last weekend uh, that in this house, we believe in science, an iterative process of argument and disagreement that never fully resolves anything. Uh, I'd like to spread that more. And if I could get one to uh, put in my front yard, I would. Uh, I, I want to close here by asking you a couple of questions, one a little bit self-indulgent and the other, I think, possibly helpful for people the self-indulgent one what is a conspiracy theory that you find to be the most plausible
0: I say I, I I thought this would be asked and that uh, yet I still don't have like I think for me um well there are degrees of, of stuff right and I think that some th- the things that I'm about to list are more um, I think that there there is a I, I, they're not just conspiracy theories in the sense that there is evidence it's just a debate over the evidence. So for instance, I have some questions about the government's involvement in opposition to the civil rights movement. But I base this on the fact that as more and more things get declassified, we know that they were involved. So my question is how much? Uh, it seems we we know we know that J Edgar Hoover hated the civil rights movement and that the man had the, you know, m- moral backbone of a chocolate eclair to paraphrase john Mullaney. so that's i have a question about how much um yeah and then i i guess if uh, the, the other big one would be like i have questions about epstein did epstein really kill himself uh why aren't there more why and I, again you have to be so careful because i'm just gonna i'm gonna hedge my bets no QAnon is nuts i am not sympathetic to anything to do with QAnon. that being said i do have some questions about the way powerful organizations deal with wrongdoing epstein being one of them and i'm going to hedge it there because you know we all have our conspiracies that we believe in um and that that's the that that, that's the thing i'll end with is we all we're all conspiracy theorists in some way we just have to think about why are we are we doing it just to satisfy a need or are there questions based on on you know on data and, and actual observations that we have
1: You underscore the nefariousness of the way we talk about these things. One can ask uh, legitimate questions about which you are unsure and for which there may be uh, explanations. Um, that aren't uh, particularly pretty, like uh, surrounding the death of Jeffrey Epstein, that doesn't make you a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, offering uh, elaborate explanations on the QAnon level for what happened to Jeffrey Epstein can. So the line in between them becomes somewhat precarious, largely because of the way we talk about it. And here's perhaps where we should get Noam Chomsky on for the linguistic explanation for all of that. A final question for you. Uh, what can you said we're all conspiracy theorists uh, in some way what can people do to discipline themselves against believing some of the more either well either some of the more outlandish stuff or believing in conspiratorial explanations for things that we may just kind of in that way you said be inclined to naturally
0: i think if i had a really good solid answer for this Uh, my academic career would be set and I'd be probably the youngest ever to be given full tenure Uh, because this is, this is, this is the question, right? How do we, how do, there's some evidence that inoculation can work um, which is kind of funny when you think about how that's phrased actually. Um, But telling people that, you know, Hey, misinformation is out there. be, Be skeptical. But then even then that can be, you know, that can be kind of, itself self-defeating because that's that's the language that conspiracy theorists use right i'm i try to say things like truth matters you know the truth matters whether you find it satisfying or not they're like yes exactly and that's why you need to understand that there is a space laser that your people have control of and i'm like okay and they'll eventually let you know and you'll get your turn and i'm like no that's not what i'm trying to say at all i so so i wish i had a more satisfying answer the, the best thing i can say honestly is Self-knowledge and healthy skepticism. So self-knowledge would be looking at why you believe the things you do, living the examined life, which, you know, sounds at the risk of sounding pretentious. You know, this has been something people have talked about since Socrates, but it remains true, right? Why do you believe the things you believe? What is the evidence? Are you actually open? Are you developing? So this this is something kind of shill for some of the research ideas I have if there are any rich rich grant donors out there who, who want to reach out to me. Uh, I'm very interested in the idea of intellectual humility, right? The, the willingness without giving up your own beliefs to consider others' beliefs. I, I think that that's going to be one thing. And we know you can cultivate it and develop it in yourself. So that, that ability to examine your own beliefs and kind of ask why. You believe as you do believe and, and be open to um be, be open to alternate uh to alternate explanations than the ones you hold dear and and and, and skeptical assom- uh, assessment of your own motives. The other thing I think would just be education through literacy, like you know, like like learning to understand what is and is not a good source. You know, research. Like you said earlier, everyone likes to say they've done their research. I have had that thrown in my face on uh, almost every issue you can possibly imagine. As I've done my research, well, no, you didn't. You did a Google. Um, we, I, I've taught research design since I was in grad school. Research, understanding and learning how to read research, learning how to be literate in the uh, literate in how people present research, literate in in terms of developing a critical thinking ability. That is something that is not natural. It requires discipline even when you're in a formal class for it much more if you're going to try to think about how you're going to approach these things yourself you know are you just seeking out sources that confirm your own biases are you are you looking at trustworthy sources are you aware of the biases of the sources you're looking at and it's it's unsatisfying because that's exhausting that's hard to do and that's not natural and we, nobody has the cognitive resources to do that all the time so being discerning about what you consume and how you consume it I think if i had to pick a third thing i'd say also honestly just kind of touch <laughs> not, at the risk of sounding flippant touch grass a lot of a lot of these conspiracy theories are born from people who just don't uh, uh, get, get offline go talk to actual people Go to your local bar, especially if you happen to be in the Grand Rapids area. You live in a beer heaven. Go drink some and talk to actual people around you. Don't spend all your time in the internet chat room. Encounter people who have different ideas. And I think that that's kind of what, especially in today's society and how linked this is to polarization, that's kind of a, the closest thing I can get to a practical and low effort way to try to assuage this.
1: Dr. Aaron Pomerantz is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, where he specializes in health psychology and conspiracy theories. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today on Act Line.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you.